You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Hello, please let me see your ticket subs for the Double-Edged Devil Bill. This week we witnessed Batman v Superman v Harley Quinn, Birds of Justice, or the Fantabulous Emancipation of the DCEU. Each week, Adam Thomas and Thomas Mariani will come to the table to discuss the randomly selected yin and yang of a double feature. Then, both will have to pick a number between 1 and 10 in order to seal their fates for the next episode, when we'll have two good movies, the other two bad ones. Let the chaos begin. I am Thomas Mariani, and I'm here to report a terrible crime. And I am Adam Tom Martha. Why would you say that name? <laughs> Dude, he's gonna kill Martha. Which, wait, well, so wait, which Martha is? Is that the one from Smallville, the one from Gotham, or is it the one over on Mulberry Lane? I'm not sure which Martha you're referring to. Washington. Oh, yes, of course. Yes. Welcome, everybody, to the Double-Edged Double Bill <laughs> for our ridiculous antics here. Um, or maybe they're not ridiculous, I'm sorry, but they're more visionary, depending on who's directing them. Uh-huh. We are here to talk about um, two films, as we do every week. If you're new, Adam and I discuss a double feature based on uh, selections we made at the end of the previous episode. We have a good movie and a bad movie. Though I guess those are relative depending on who you talk to about, especially these movies. We're specifically talking about the DC Extended Universe, which, if you're unaware, is basically for uh, DC Comics the recent continuity. So that would include um, eight films, which would be uh, Man of Steel, Batman v Superman, Suicide Squad, Wonder Woman, Justice League, Aquaman, Birds of Prey, Shazam, and uh, the upcoming... Wonder Woman 1984, which is why we're talking here this evening, because that is coming out this very week on Christmas Day on HBO Max, which has a lot of interesting connotations for the future of movies. But, uh, Adam, we talked about DC movies in general. We've done two episodes about DC comics adaptations, uh, but we haven't talked about any films from this specific subset, this continuity, that was sort of invented to kind of catch up with the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And uh, what are your thoughts on this sort of franchise? I think it's exactly what you just said. It was completely created to catch up with the Marvel Universe. I think it's starting to hit its stride now in the later sort of half of the films. But uh, it was totally just a fucking mess in the beginning. It was all over the place. Clearly rushed out. Clearly just like, what actors can we get to be these roles? Suicide Squad's probably a big example of that. You know, it's getting better. It's still not great, but it is getting better. I mean, I would argue at least a couple of films have been pretty close to, if not great. I said the later movies, Thomas. <laughs> I agree with you. <laughs> well, well, even then, it's not very, it's not consistent. I definitely agree with that. Um, it, it's definitely sort of this mixed bag of cinematic universe thing. It's probably the textbook example to me of at least in the modern trend of trying to catch up to Marvel and do a cinematic universe of one at least actually existing which is fair to this because there are plenty of examples of studios trying to make one and it doesn't work. It doesn't even go past one movie necessarily. Uh, see the dark universe. 
<laughs> yeah. With uh, at least like the DC universe, they have enough clout to at least say like, hey, we're basing this off superheroes that one are pretty famous in general, but also have had successful movies before. Given we started with Superman and Batman was involved. And then we kind of spread out to other things that hadn't been adapted into movies before. And I'll say, if nothing else, I think, say what you will about the Snyder movies, and we will talk about at least one of them uh, later in this episode. But those movies, most of those movies at the very least, feel like they're kind of, um, you know, the director's actual vision. I will say, this: the series sort of has this weird, like, bottom tier and higher tier were like at its highest like oh this is a director getting to do the exact vision they want to do and doing a pretty great job at it and at the bottom tier some of these aren't even fucking movies like some of them don't feel like completed films because they have so much studio meddling which i can say no other like even marvel at their worst is kind of like oh you can see some studio hand but it's kind of forgettable as opposed to i would argue at least Uh one of these movies is bottom tier like this is not complete (laughs) finish the assignment you did not complete this i agree and you know and they also took the step to start lightening the tone you know because you got to figure look at man of steel and our topic for tonight and the first couple movies they were dead ass serious movies right to kind of stick out from the sort of funnier marvel stuff yeah right and then then, you know you got to figure with aquaman shazam and even some wonder woman the original there was some levity started to bring brought into it which really sort of lends itself to the subject material quite a bit more than making it just super like eh, we're brooding all the time every single person in this universe is dark and brooding well i i I would agree with that i would also argue that at least some of them the worser ones to me tend to be the ones where it's like the movie is pretty much done and was already sort of in a darker tone and they're like fix it fix it fix it fix it (laughs) And it's like, no, that doesn't work. I think that makes a worse movie if you try and make an already pretty much done movie into a lighter tone with scenes that don't fit. Are we talking Suicide Squad here, mostly? Not just Suicide Squad. Um, I would also argue at least Justice League has that immense problem. <laughs> oh, all over the place. My man. My man. <laughs> oh. yeah. <laughs> Oh, and the Flash gets nuzzled in between Wonder Woman's breasts. That's a whole thing that happens. And it says Dostoevsky to a bunch of Russians. Yep, 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 because that's something that's necessary. Uh, you know, the, before we get into it, the thing is, too, about the DCEU especially, their two flagship characters are the most famous combo characters ever created with mm-hmm. Superman and Batman. Right. I mean, you could show the Superman symbol or the Batman symbol I'd argue almost anywhere in the world, and people would know exactly what it is and and what it represents. It's like it's recognizable iconography, if nothing else. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, you know, of course, it's been marketed to death, too. At their core, they're not that complex of characters. It should be kind of a no-brainer and easy to pull off on film. But maybe the simplicity, I guess, is what makes it such a problem. I, I don't know. It's just... Oof. I, I think we'll definitely talk about that with especially our, our bad feature here. Um, but I think the, the the big thing for me is sort of like, I was more, I've said this before when we talked about the general DC adaptations. I, in terms of my limited comic book reading, I've read a lot more DC stuff in general, like Superman and Batman specifically, just because I'm a pleb, I guess, to some degree, uh, in terms of the comic book actually reading world. But um, at the very least, I, I do agree that I think there have been really great examples of kind of like, contextualizing these characters and doing interesting things with them and i think even at some of these worser movies they at least kind of try to do that um but at the same time 
kind of like recontextualizing these characters also doesn't work for building like a universe or a franchise or anything like that that you're trying to also do at the same time. It's this weird thing of like trying to kind of make an interesting statement with characters that are very familiar, but also kind of trying to make something appealing to mass audiences. And I think they kind of have both those masters are tugging at and a lot of these movies don't quite work in appeasing that um, in the earlier cases. And then as it went along, they did a better job of balancing that out. Sure. <laughs> we'll, we'll, get, we'll get into that. And we also want to emphasize, because obviously we're on the ESO network, uh, our, our lovely podcast hosting network here, and a lot of uh, people listening are sort of geeky listeners. And we want to emphasize that like these movies have very big fans, especially the Snyder ones. They have rather um, ravenous, loving, attentive fans that can be maybe a bit defensive. And we want to say firmly, we're going to say some things maybe negatively you don't agree with, or even oppositely, we're going to say positive right. things about a movie you probably don't have a lot of positive feelings toward, you know, depending on your perspective. And we just want to emphasize that if you like some of the things we don't like, that's great. And if you don't like <laughs> some of the things we like, that's also great. Just like, don't be a dick. <laughs> I also want to, yeah, and I also want to reiterate, this is coming from two guys, one who's a major film, well, we're both film fans, but I'd argue you're more of a film sort of, uh, I don't know nerd than i am <laughs> you're more of a film dork right than i am and i grew i grew up reading these comics living the i mean these comics were my life growing up so we're both coming at it from very uh sort of precise uh opinions on it but yeah they're just our opinions that's it right so um we'll, we'll go ahead and say that uh we're gonna be talking about two specific movies today uh first we'll be talking about our good pick the most recent entry uh, prior to the upcoming Wonder Woman 1984, uh, which was your pick, Adam, for a good pick of Birds of Prey. And then we talk about my bad pick, uh, which was Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice. Uh, so we'll have a lot to say about both of these, and let's kick things off with Birds of Prey and the fantabulous emancipation of one Harley Quinn. This is our story. They have my diamond. I think you can manage a couple girls. Bad like a villain, I pop it, then, then I reload. Oh, please. <laughs> if he gets a diamond, you'll be unstoppable. Yeah, that's not gonna happen. I like it when you call me crazy. Like you keep calling, baby. <laughs> Nothing gets a guy's attention like violence. Yeah. <laughs> Harley Quinn in Birds of Prey. Rated R. Experience in an IMAX. So, uh, Birds of Prey, and it's longer title, uh, came out earlier this year, February 7th, 2020, which feels like centuries ago. I remember seeing this in the theater, what feels like so long, long ago. Um, it is from uh, Kathy Yan, who's the director, and uh, is a spinoff movie about uh, Harley Quinn, who is a character that started originally in the Batman the Animated Series in the 90s and then uh, made her film debut in live action in uh, Suicide Squad, uh, as played by Margot Robbie. And uh, Margot Robbie, after that movie's surprising success, um, was like, oh great, how about I take this cachet and make a Harley Quinn sort of spin-off team movie, which she's a big producer on this and was like sort of shepherding this project through. And, um, you know, we might have a lot of negative thoughts about Suicide Squad, but we can say at the very least, Birds of Prey is a very different animal. Yes, 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 yes. Uh, I, absolutely. Uh, I would equivalent Suicide Squad to, uh, if we're talking beer, Bushlight. And I would call Birds of Prey a Corona. That That's really insulting to Bushlight. 
that you would compare it to Suicide Squad. Well, no, okay, fine. Uh, natural ice. Still very kind. I don't think most beers can really compare to... Suicide Squad feels like drinking, like, straight Axe body spray. That's what Steel Reserve basically is. Sure. You don't want Steel Reserve. We'll, we'll go with that. We'll talk about Suicide Squad maybe a bit later when we get to our feedback section. But for Birds of Prey, um, Adam, this was your choice, as we mentioned. And so I'm uh, very curious why this one in particular. Uh, well, mainly because I expected it to suck. Because as I, as we talked about, I was just really, really dislike Suicide Squad. So I expected this to be no good. It, it got sort of like, you know, constantly pushed around its release date, then the title change. And, you know, within a week, it went from the full title, just Birds of Prey at the show. So I'm like, oh, that doesn't bode well. The advertising was everywhere. Blah, 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 blah. And then I finally watched it, and I was actually really pleasantly surprised. I think it's a very, very strong uh, sort of female character-led piece with a really compelling fun villain that it's not a crazy sort of you know giant ray in the sky superhero movie it's just like a crime movie and hijinks and shenanigans it's nothing really supernatural or wild it's just a bunch of crazy shit happening and i I thought it was really fun it's a smaller scale sort of uh, action comedy which i agree i think is a welcome sort of change of pace even like as good as these movies could be um, like with a Wonder Woman or Shazam, those are definitely higher budgeted movies. And I like that even though this is like $90 million is the budget, it does feel a lot more sort of like low-key, especially to like the shittier areas of Gotham. And I love sort of this kind of side story that like while you hear brief bits about like, oh yeah, Batman's around or there's a Superman, uh, we're just covering like all the people in the real shithole areas of the city that's supposed to be like a major metropolitan area. And I really love especially how Kathy Ann kind of creates the world of the crime leagues of Gotham um, in that everybody has sort of like a highfalutin kind of over the top personality, kind of like a Harley Quinn. Um, But also all of them are kind of like petty, shitty little thugs. And I think that's kind of fun that they really emphasize fully on that in this feature. Yeah, I I definitely agree. And I love that, you know, the main villain, Hugh McGregor's black mask is just kind of a narcissistic psychopath. He's a fucking child with a gun, basically. Yeah, basically, he's a spoiled rich kid with a gun. And I like that he's he's really infallible. He's not super tough or anything like that. I love the supporting, most of the supporting cast. I'm not huge on Mary Elizabeth uh, Winstead. I think she's trying to be at the level that everyone else is, and she's not quite hitting it. Um, at least as the, on the level of like Ewan McGregor and Margot Robbie, and I don't think she, she is capable, at least in this film, of pulling that off. She's a much more sort of, well, we know she's like a subdued indie darling actress, you know. So she's kind of my weakest link in it, but that's not to say she's bad. I just don't think she's uh, got the gusto that the rest do. I absolutely fucking love um, Rosie Perez in this movie. I think she's phenomenal. What a what a cool thing to see Rosie Perez come, not only like sort of revitalizing her career, but in a mainstream sort of blockbuster type film really really cool and also casually playing a lesbian character and it's not a huge deal right at all it's barely even the only way it's referenced is because you meet her ex right ali wong is sort of the the da's assistant i agree because they could have gone really silly with that with her constantly like oogling margot robbie or whatever like everyone did in suicide squad which like they made you do in suicide squad because the movie should just be called margot robbie's ass featuring will smith 
but yeah, they, they didn't do any of that in this. They, you know, and I like the costume choices they did for Harley Quinn where it's just weird, bizarre shit, not necessarily even attractive clothing. Uh, it just goofy shit that you would get the idea that this psychopath would wear. It's, but it's like she has a sexuality to her, but it's not like the one main feature. It's just like it's something Harley owns, but also she's like a fuck up. Like I love the bit in the middle of this big club scene where she like vomits in the middle of the montage into yep. a handbag. Mm-hmm. When she jumps on that one dude's legs. Yes. <laughs> like It's fucking crazy. But no, I, I think that's one of the reasons I, I really liked it, because I was honestly expecting basically Suicide Squad Part 2, but with all female. That's what I was expecting, and that's not what they give you at all. No, yeah, I like the fact that they sort of build this team, and I think all the characters feel very different. Like, even with the Mary Elizabeth Winston thing, I would argue very much she is not trying at all to be like an Ewan McGregor or Rosie Perez or any of the other characters, because what I really like about her character is that she's extremely awkward as, like, this woman who was raised as an assassin after her family was killed. And I like the fact that they own the fact that she's extremely awkward around people. And I've even seen some people say, oh, it's kind of like uh, she might be on the autism spectrum to some degree. And I can see that. And I think that's what really works is that anytime she kind of tries to be involved with the team, it's through her own kind of awkward prism that she can't quite get past. Like even the whole Huntress thing, everyone calls her the crossbow killer. She's like, God damn it, I'm not that. I'm trying to establish my own identity and you're all trying to put this on me. I, I think she's really fun in this and I think she really fits with the ensemble in general. If anything, I would say my biggest problem with the movie is that I like Margot Robbie a lot as Harley Quinn, but earlier on in the movie, when it's more of just like the Harley show, it kind of shows how thin, sort of as a character on her own, Harley can be. Because, like, I loved her in the old Batman animated series. But I think what works with Harley is when she has somebody to bounce off of, like, wonderfully with, like, Poison Ivy in that show or the recent animated series with, like, where she has a bunch of other people in her crew as well. Once she has, like, a straight person to, like, go off of as a comedic partner... Like, especially when we get to, like, Black Canary as played Jernay Spollett-Bell. Um, I think, like, that stuff really works. Or when she ends up Cassandra Kane as played by L.A. Uh, J. Basco. Oh, yeah. No, I, I think their interaction's really good. I, I like Harley and Kane because it's, like, Kane is just, like, this little lost kid. Doesn't really have belong to anybody. Doesn't feel like she fits in. And she meets this maniac. And she, like, wants to be her. Real, like, oh, you're so fucking cool. But then Harley, like, basically tells her to fuck off. And it, it's it's really, it's a really cute sort of friendship relationship they have. Almost feels like a surrogate big sister kind of thing with the two of them. Yes. Yes, I agree. Um, but would you agree maybe that, like, when it's earlier with Harley on her own, it feels a bit more, like, it gets a bit thin after a certain point? Yeah, I, I, I do agree. I, I think the that whole part of the movie is when she's, like, trying to get the egg sandwich and then it all fucks up and then all these people are coming after her in one quick scene. That's when the movie kicks off for me as well, I agree. Absolutely. It's really fun and exciting. But up until then, yeah, it, it's kind of like meanders you're like okay let's get going let's get the team together or whatever we're gonna do then because yeah it does get a little old after a while the, the egg sandwich thing is so phenomenal because they really like lovingly pay attention to like harley is so dead so like she doesn't have much in her life clearly at this point because she's broken up with joker doesn't have like a lot of connections with other people at this point she has a hard time opening up to people and getting emotionally like tethered to people that she has to get tethered to like a fucking egg sandwich which is so funny and the way that um to be fair kathy yan shoots like especially the making of that sandwich it's like i get it girl like that looks great oh, that's, that's what i'm saying every time i watch this movie i'm like oh my god i want that fucking sandwich <laughs> 
<laughs> Absolutely agree. And, and even the fact that uh, it's like, I love also the detail of like, um, it, it's being made by like a guy who's in a really shitty fucking like cooking place. Like a little shitty bodega. Yeah, a little shitty bodega. Yeah, and she emphasizes just like, oh, maybe it's because his uh, cheese slices are just six months out of date. <laughs> but maybe that's what makes yeah. it so great. <laughs> But, uh, like I said, I really do like Ewan McGregor as Black Mask. I think he's fucking phenomenal. And the same thing, too, they play with his sexuality without coming right out and saying it. Yeah, with particularly a Christmas scene as Victor's ass. Yeah, he's also really good in it, too. But Ewan McGregor, when he's showing her Black Canary the stuff, and he's like, oh, these are shrunken heads. And he's like, ugh, isn't that gross? <laughs> like, he's so fucking good at it. <laughs> So and then when he looks at the giant statue he has of himself in the middle of the thing. Or when the girl's hanging upside down, he's going to let her go, and then she blows a snot bubble. Yes. And he's like, oh, God. Oh, dude, forget it. I changed my mind. Yeah. <laughs> but no, they're really fun. They got a fun dynamic. Victor, Chris Messina is genuinely kind of intimidating in this movie because he is fucking stone-faced scary. Right, I like the fact uh, that earlier on they play him as a bit more comedic in the line with everybody else, and it, it works, because it's just like, where the fuck was the rock? I just had it on me. And then later on when he's, like, showing Harley the scars and she's just like, I have this place safe for you. It's like, oh, shit. Ooh, this is getting serious. Well, yeah, he's a nut. He's a fucking nutbag. Right. For sure, for sure. What did you feel about the final sort of carnival house sort of action scene? Um, I like all of the action pretty consistently in this movie. I think I, I, that's the thing is even when I have some issues with like the comedic elements, I think Kathy Ann does such a great job of building a lot of these action sequences really well. Um, that's not my favorite action set piece necessarily in the Funhouse. I think it's a lot of fun. I would say the, my favorite action set piece is like Harley in the police station going through, especially in the evidence locker when she's like fucking destroying people's legs and shit. So good. Uh, but even in, like, the, the big action piece, I like the fact that at the end they have all the different members of this sort of Birds of Prey posse have their own different fighting styles. And they yes. all work to, like, fight off all these various different thugs in different ways. I think that's what makes this a strength. And also the production design of the fun house and stuff like that. But I'm a sucker for, like, a fun house sequence in general in a movie. Um, yeah, I thought it was it worked pretty well as much as any of the other action did in the movie. Yeah, I, I, I tend to agree with you. Um, I, I've read a lot of stuff you know because i'm very learned um where people people are sort of like it just kind of drags on a little too much or it's maybe too slapsticky in scenes or whatever and maybe that is the case with certain certain moments but it never feels that way to me because um the sort of action photography and direction in this movie is really fucking well done like it's really really good and that's a problem that um a lot of the dc eu movies have where they don't really show it to you. it's too choppy it's too sort of too much close-up work also it's it's way too murky with the look of it yeah too dark way too shrouded way too everything and this it's like kind of right in your face you can see every hit everything that's happening and i for me that just makes it so much more enjoyable well i think what kind of like i've heard kathy ann say this as much like her kind of goal was to sort of turn the Joel Schumacher aesthetic into a more, like, well-realized project, and I think that's what I like about it. Because, like, with those Joel Schumacher Batman movies, as much as they do have a lot of issues, I think the production design is fun, and I think this movie decides, like, okay, we're gonna take inspiration from that, but also make a good movie around the elaborate, silly production design. 
I think that's where this movie excels so hard. It's just being like a big, massive, fun, sprightly movie, but also having a bit of the grounded darkness in a way that fits like Gotham as a setting. I think they balance that out perfectly in this movie. And this Gotham feels like the nicest part of Gotham is Chinatown. And the rest is just bitch. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, yeah, I really love the look of it. I love the sort of bright, bright daytime stuff. It's not a perfect movie. It's not even my favorite of the DCEU. But I do think this is one that got a lot of shade thrown at it for really no reason, especially without people seeing it first. And because I can attest to that. I threw shade at it. I thought it was going to fucking suck. And then I saw it. I'm like, oh, no, this is good. Yeah, I think some of it has to definitely do with, like, you know, we mentioned Suicide Squad. Despite being a really big earner at the time, was kind of viewed as a disappointment from critics and even fans to a certain degree, despite how many Harley Quinn outfits we saw, like, that Halloween. Um, and I think it just kind of came after having a bit of a bad taste when, like, people were starting to get back onto the DCEU with, like, Wonder Woman and Shazam. Then this shows up again, just like, oh, are we reminding of, like, a bad ex? There's a bit of that, and also then just a bit of, like, general fanboy sexism bullshit as well what I know, did I that know. happen i gotta sit you down adam it's a, it's a true thing no <laughs> are you telling fanboys can be sexist awful people well i'm gonna take my katana and trilby and go home <laughs> does it have the soul <laughs> of your victims in it? yes it does m'lady <laughs> <laughs> This is Adam. His fedora has the soul of his ex-husband in it. Yeah. Oh, God. Oh, stupid. I get being beholden to source material, and I get being, you know, thinking combo characters and all that are very important, because they are important. They're important to the kids who grew up with them. They're important for all the messages they can convey. They're important just on a, a medium of art alone. But the thing is you have to let it change and gestate and move and you know allow it to become another form of media it's not going to be the same it can't be it's impossible if it was the same it'd be boring so let it change you know let things move you'll still have the comic book you'll still have the source material like who gives a shit you know if they change something and you don't like it you still have what you fell in love with to begin with but People want these movies and they, they clamor for them and they, oh my God, I can't believe they're making this movie. And then if it's not exactly the material you read, this is bullshit. They're making it different so it'll make money to appeal to a bigger audience and then you will get more of those movies. Also, they're trying to tell their own fucking story and I don't think anyone can blame them for like trying to adapt a fucking story to a different medium. Who the fuck wants to see the live action version of The Dark Knight Returns? Honestly. Everyone knows the story. You've seen it. You've read it. You've seen the animated version. You want a live-action version, too? Which they kind of gave us in our next feature. And it sucked. Like, you don't need a retelling of your favorite stories. Well, I even know, because, like, Birds of Prey, apparently, like, it has, like, Batgirl in it and stuff in the modern incarnations, so this doesn't quite fit that particular team, right? No, in the original team, yeah, the original team was Huntress, Oracle... And, uh, I think, yeah, I think Batgirl, but it was, Oracle was the original Barbara Gordon, was Barbara right, Gordon. Right, yeah. Yeah. But, yeah, I think that was the original Birds of Prey, it was the three of them. Harley Quinn was never even in Birds of Prey. No, right, and even, like, a Harley Quinn, where, like, I knew Harley Quinn for so long, is obviously Joker's uh, gangster mall, basically. And that's where I started, like, really being invested in that character. And then, like, with that animated series, like, as much as I love it, 
Uh, like, they kind of tried to keep Harley Quinn to a status quo in the middle of an abusive relationship with Joker, which probably isn't necessarily the best thing to do with a female character. And I like the idea of, like, Harley going out on her own and being her own character, kind of just distancing herself from the Joker a bit. If anything, like, the biggest, like, sort of hindrance this movie has for me is just the fact that the animated series I mentioned has come out, like, since. I've watched it since. And I'm like, oh my god, this is, like, even better to me. Like, I can't emphasize enough. If you have, like, HBO Max, watch that Harley Quinn show. I love it. There's, like, I have some problems with it, but it's mostly just kind of, like, such a fun, inventive new way of doing things with that character and a bunch of other great DC side characters. Yeah, I didn't watch all of it. I watched quite a bit of it, though. But, like, dude, Kite Man? What the fuck? You know, like, this is awesome. <laughs> King Shark. Oh, I love, yeah, Ron Funches as King Shark is so fucking fun. <laughs> He's so funny. Uh, but yeah, I, I can't agree with you more. I think that show is absolutely just gangbusters, nuts, and so fun. It's so, so fun. It is. Do not watch it with the kitties. No. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> it's very R-rated as a show. Um, and this one also is R-rated. I think some people even said that might have been a hindrance for it making as much money as it potentially could have done. Do you think that's true? Ed? I think it should have stayed R-rated. You know, the thing is, people, that's not a viable excuse anymore. Where oh, it won't make money because it's R-rated. Look at Deadpool. Look at Logan. Look at Deadpool 2. I mean... Look at Joker that came yeah. out several months prior to this. Look at Joker. Right, exactly. The fans of this shit, they're adults too. And a lot of them are adults, the ones that grew up with it. They'll pay to go see an R-rated version. They don't give a shit. They just want to go see a good movie. If your whole goal is for kids, then yeah, then you got to neuter it and change it. I get that. But that's not... It's not... It doesn't make sense anymore that it won't make as much money if it's R-rated. It that doesn't make sense. I don't believe that's the case really at all. And plus, you wouldn't have some of like the f- more fun, elaborate, great sequences. Like we, I mentioned the police sequence and how like some yeah. of those like Bibles, particularly the one guy who Harley Quinn kicks his leg in one opposite direction and kicks it back in the other direction. Like you couldn't do that in a PG thirteen movie. Um, oh, absolutely. No, or even of course the uh, Ewan McGregor's death in this movie, which is phenomenal i just it fucking explodes off the beer it's so perfectly so, timed but even that police station scene you know the thing is it's not gory at all i mean other than the limb breaking but there's no blood or anything i mean she's shooting the cops with paint bags and glitter and stuff like that a good decision because like i don't want to see like a villain shoot up a place regardless yeah, of where it is but, yeah, right now but the thing is they, this is a good movie you could show your teenager mm-hmm. you know it, you don't have to take your fucking seven-year-old to see it like but it, it is approachable enough from a lot of different age ranges i think the most r-rated element of that sequence is probably hardly getting a sort of cocaine power up which is so fun a big thing this improves upon with suicide squad the needle drops in this movie are perfect i love the soundtrack so much Um, particularly like the use of barracuda during the climax i think is great Uh i agree yeah especially in comparison to suicide squad good I don't know, I was watching this in the first 18 minutes, I'm like, how come we haven't had 10 soundtrack cues? Come on, guys, pick up the pace. Where's the Credence? Need more Credence. Where's 30 seconds of Credence followed by 30 seconds of the animals followed by 30 seconds of another band? Oh my god, constantly. But anyways, to sort of wrap up on this one, at least for me, I, I do think it's really fun like i said it's not my favorite dceu movie I, I if i had to pick one it'd probably be shazam i really really love shazam i think it's you know just super wholesome and fun but this is a really good entertaining movie uh comic book movie or not it's really super fun and uh 
I think it did get an unfair shake a lot because of sort of the Suicide Squad stigma. But I, you know, I, I, I challenge people to watch this ones who who never gave it a shot. And I mean, you might not like it, it may not be for you, but I guarantee it'll be better than you expected. Right. And if you didn't like it, uh, don't do like a three hour YouTube video about why it sucks and why <laughs> it didn't do well because DC's questioning male excellence or whatever bullshit you want to do. Yeah. Well, that's why we get in the Snyder Cut. Oh, but we'll talk about that a bit further later. Um, but yeah, I, I agree that I think it's not my favorite of the DCEU, but I like the fact that DC's able to do something like Wonder Woman, which is like great, empowering, positive, sort of like use of like a female main character. And it was also able to have like a bunch of female characters who are kind of shitty people, but at the same time they have like more complex, interesting stories than you can tell despite that. I like the fact that DCU is able to play with that, and I hope, despite the fact that this was kind of a disappointment for them and making $200 million on that $90 million budget, I hope it doesn't at least kind of, like, scare them away from doing fun things like this, and I hope we don't, like, say, get rid of Margot Robbie's Harley Quinn, because I love seeing her in these things, and, you know, I'm excited to see her in The Suicide Squad, mainly because, like, this movie did such a great job of, like, really bring her into her own as a character, and also having her bounce off a bunch of other great characters. Like, I'd love to see this Birds of Prey uh, sort of cast continue on from here in the DC universe because like it's it's such a like fun vibrant enjoyable action comedy movie where even if the comedy isn't as consistent like I said the action is so phenomenal that it's just like this is still just like such a consistently entertaining ride and also like you mentioned Ewan McGregor such a fun villain it, it's one that I agree I think people should uh, give more of a chance out there if, yes. uh, even if you're not like a big comic book fan you might just like it's like oh this is a fun entertaining like action comedy movie and nothing else um, also just one brief shout out we didn't mention much about the whole rollerblading Harley Quinn sequence with the cars that movement is also really fucking dope I love that bit that might, that might be my favorite action beat to be honest it's so well done yeah, lots of great summer. Credit to Chad Stahelski of the John Wick movies, who was like the big stunt choreographer for the movie as well. But um, let's go ahead, and uh, we have a whole other movie to talk extensively about here in a second. But first, here's a promo for an ESO so you can queue up right after hours. I'm Drew Leiter. And I'm Cletus Jacobs. Join us this winter as we watch changes in the DC Universe unfold. We'll keep you informed on DC News. We'll review the future state event, and of course, we'll be talking the Arrowverse shows when they return this January. Thanks for letting us be a part of your DC Comics journey, and thanks for listening to the Earth Station DCU podcast. Part of the ESO Network! Alright, and here we go everybody. Our bad feature, Batman v Superman, Dawn of Justice. Next time they shine your light in the sky, don't go to it. The bat is dead. Well, here I am. Now, we will battle. Stay down! You're not brave. Men are brave. With a PG-13. So, uh, Batman v Superman Donna Justice came out <laughs> March 25th, 2016, from director Zack Snyder. So, this was uh, the second film in the DCEU, uh, following up directly debut of uh, Henry Cavill's Superman in Man of Steel, which, um, Adam, we talked a bit off mic, let's briefly at least establish, you were a fan of Man of Steel, especially when it came out, right? Oh, yeah. Yes. Still am. I still really like it. I think uh, it has flaws. I'm not going to sit here and say it's a perfect movie. 
but I think it's a really, really sort of good Superman movie. It's a good origin Superman movie. Uh, that movie to me, it is dark and everything, but I, I like the idea that Superman would become the Superman we all know after these events of this movie, which obviously we didn't get. We got Batman with Superman at Dawn of Justice. Yeah, I mean, I, I didn't mention this earlier, but in prep for this show, I watched all eight of these movies. Um, and... You did? <laughs> yes, I did. Um, and I did rewatch Man of Steel. That was a movie I liked a lot more at the time when it came out. And I think I've watched it one time right before Batman v Superman came out. And then uh, right now before, obviously, the show earlier this week. And I'll say that, like, I have a lot of problems still with Man of Steel. But I will at least say that one feels like the most sort of, like, mixed bag of an individual movie of these movies. Because I love certain elements of it. I think particularly the first half of that movie does a pretty great job of establishing, like, a new version of Krypton. And, uh, you know, Kal-El coming down to Earth and kind of having these difficulties with adjusting to Earth. And it has some of the better examples of Henry Cavill as Superman. Um, I think particularly sort of like the interrogation scene he has with uh, Amy Adams as Lois Lane or some of the other sequences where it's even him kind of doing an Incredible Hulk TV series kind of going around <laughs> trying to find his way. I think that stuff is pretty interesting and complex. And I just think the movie really gradually shits the bed by doing a whole fucking Dragon Ball Z ending that I'm not a fan of. No, I do agree with that. I agree the ending is a little much. I don't know that Zod needed to be the first villain in the new Superman franchise. Despite Michael Shane doing a pretty good job, I liked what he did in that oh, movie. I really liked him in it, but it just, it's the same thing. It's, it's to me, it's, you know, Tony Iron Man versus, uh, you know, Ironmonger. It's the same idea where it's like the two equally powered super people have this big blowout fight. It just, you get lost in the destruction and lost in the spectacle. I'd like to see something a little bit, you know, A, you can follow visually, and B, have a little more punch to it than instead of, oh, these guys are super tough and they hit each other so hard. Like, yeah, who cares? So, I remember after Man of Steel coming out, and I was really excited as a lot of people were like, they're going to start the DCEU with this. This is fucking cool. Like, where could we go from here? And I expected, over anything, a sequel to Man of Steel. I did not expect Batman to be brought back in so fast. And I'll never forget when they they showed the logo. I think it was at Comic-Con. Yeah, just a couple months after Man of Steel came out with San Diego Comic-Con. Just like, it was Zack Snyder like, hey everybody, we, um, you know, hope you like Man of Steel. And uh, Oh, by the way, one more thing. And they showed the logo. Yeah, and it looks like the world's finest logo. Yes. Which I'm like, okay, so we're going to do like a team up thing. All right. And then it's Batman versus Superman. I'm like, oh, I don't know that this is the way to go. And then I saw the trailers. I'm like, oh, this is a bad idea. Bruce Wayne and Batman versus Superman is Lex Luthor. His whole reason for wanting to stop Superman and kill Superman is Lex Luthor's modus operandi in the comics. You have to take it at the 1% chance that this person turns on us. You have to take it as a certainty because he will kill us all. So we have to stop him. That's not Batman. That's that's Lex Luthor. That's always been Lex Luthor. Right. Lex Luthor believes what he's doing is right. Batman knows how to kill Superman, and he always has a contingency plan in his back pocket, but he has that for every fucking buddy in the DC universe, period. It, it just... And then Jesse Eisenberg. Well, hold on, hold on, hold on. Oh, I, I want to at least no, like. I'm all over the place. I know I'm all over the place. <laughs> what, what for Batman v Superman? That feels so thematically inappropriate. <laughs> yeah, 
Michael Adams. <laughs> uh, no, but like I, I agree that in general, I think that's a problem. But I will say, as sort of motivation for within this universe that was established as Man of Steel, where you have this like big elaborate fight that uh, with Zod versus Superman that literally turned into like a nine eleven imagery thing. Like I get why a Batman would have maybe trepidations about Superman in this fucking universe no, after no, that happens. I don't just. I don't disagree with you. I, I agree that Batman would be like this motherfucker killed God knows how many people in this in this slugfest in Metropolis. And I agree that Batman would like be a detective and try to figure out who the fuck he is and what's going on and and try right. to solve it. And a credit to the movie, I think the opening sequence is probably one of the better examples of like what they were kind of going for with this. Where within that spectrum, like Bruce Wayne seeing through the rubble, seeing people like horribly yeah. uh, just scarred and. You know, killed and all this other stuff. I think that's a good way to lead off, at least, so that like, he would have these trepidations and motivate him to search after Superman from there. Well, I agree with that, and that's the way they could have gone instead of him. Literally, they given him Lex Luthor's identity. He had enough reason already, but then once they get into the thing where he's now he has to kill him, and he's wanting to find Kryptonite, and he's wanting to do this, and he wanted to... that's not being a detective. That's just being a fucking a revenge monster. Right. I think that's the problem. Is like I think early on, even after that sequence I'm talking about, they have like some interesting scenes of him having those trepidations that feel a bit more complex. I think some of the best scenes are earlier on with like Ben Affleck and Jeremy Irons as Alfred, kind of like talking about the situation and how many like trepidations he has and kind of focusing on the embitteredness he would have, especially being like a fifty year old or so Batman. I think she's like, Okay, you're actually doing more complex things than I expected, Zack Snyder, great. And then the moment he has that speech you're talking about, like, oh, there's only a 1% chance, it's like, oh, no. (laughs) No. (laughs) I agree. I agree. Uh, And I will say, uh, A, love Jeremy Irons as Alfred. I think that's a really good idea. I thought Affleck was good as Batman. I really did, and I Mm -hmm. did not expect that, because I... Not really a big fan of his, but I thought he was cool, good enough as Batman. I love the look of Batman. I think this is my favorite sort of on-screen as far as trying to keep it closer to the comics. The actual bat suit, yeah. I agree with that. Yeah, it looks fucking awesome. Um, Okay, again, Jesse Eisenberg, Doomsday, and Martha. Oh, boy. (laughs) Oh, boy. Because the movie, like, with its title, Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice, like, the sort of complicatedness of that title i think is mainly the movie's undoing because if you had really had more time devoted to sort of the first half of batman v superman sure that'd be fine maybe even keeping wonder woman in here which this is the debut of gal gadot as wonder woman and at the time this was said and i'd still agree as well um she's one of the huge highlights of the movie every time she shows up Weirdly, the best sequences in this movie for me are kind of like just people talking in rooms as opposed to any of the actual Batman or Superman action stuff. Like, the sequence where Clark Kent and Bruce Wayne meet each other at Lex's party, I love their back and forth. I love that dialogue. I love the whole thing going back, just like, well, what about this Bat Vigilante, what he's doing? Um, in the Daily Planet saying that kind of shit, you know, hypocritical. Yeah, I, I hate fucking <laughs> clowns in big, elaborate, colorful costumes. Exactly. Really cool. I, I, I think I agree with you about adding the tagline Dawn of Justice because you set yourself up for failure because everybody goes into it knowing like, oh, there's this is going to set up the Justice League. Like, there's no question that's what's going to happen. And as soon as Wonder Woman does come on screen, which I do agree with you, uh, she's probably the shining light of the movie and her action beats are fucking awesome. 
but you know that's what it's building towards. You know it's just sort of the sequel building towards the finale. Like the, it, none of the stakes feel real. You know for a fact that Superman isn't fucking dead. No, they try right. to force. I mean, it's so obvious, dude. It just it feels lazy. It feels sort of well, obviously too many hands in the pot, which we know is the case because Zack Snyder had to leave because of family well, reasons. Well, no, no, that's not with this movie. That's that was that was with Justice League. No, that was Justice League. Oh God! Well, holy fuck! No, because like here's here's no no no. Here's the thing. I think with this movie, it's more of the opposite problem of like Justice League and some of these other ones where they gave Snyder this full reign, which feels weird given like even before this like Man of Steel. Despite, like, I think, like, broke even for them. Wasn't, like, a huge hit. And even yeah, before this, like, Sucker Punch or the Owls of Kahul movie, all this other shit, weren't, like, movies that either lost the money or just barely made them any money. Post 300, he had a lot of those. And he was given these resources to keep continuing. And I think with Batman v Superman, it's way more of a problem of, like, there are too many sort of elements packed in here. As opposed to, I think some of the lesser movies have the bigger problem of, like, there's barely any movie there, which is why I would say this isn't the worst one to me of the DCEU. Uh-uh. No, it's not. I agree. I prefer. I, I would that. prefer overstuff to completely thin on anything. No, yeah, I, I, I completely agree with that. I well, what it sounds like to me, in all honesty, that's how easy I get these confused, these two fucking movies. But what it sounds like to me is like Snyder got a three picture deal. That that's I guess that's all it could be. Even the impetus for Man of Steel was just the fact that they were in the middle. Uh, Warner Brothers was in the middle of that lawsuit with the Schuster family, because it was like right. you you might lose the rights to Superman if you don't put a movie in production immediately. And they're like, uh, Zach, yoink, help us <laughs> make a Superman was, movie. And, and but to but to give him credit, he was probably a pretty shrewd businessman about it. Be like, yeah, I'll do it, but you also got to let me do this and this too. Right. Why not? You know, I would do the same thing if I was in his shoes. And the thing is, I, I don't think Zack Snyder is an incapable director. I really don't. I think Zack Snyder can film action pretty well. Uh, I do like a couple of his movies quite a bit. The thing is, his general tone does not work to me for the DC universe. It doesn't work. It's too dark. It's too gritty. It's too violent. It's too sort of foreboding and gothic and brooding. Like, it just doesn't work for me. Yeah, I think it has the problem of, like, coming off of the Nolan movies, which were so big and successful. He's definitely kind of trying to be like, okay, I can achieve that same tone while also introducing more sort of, like, uh, supernatural or over-the-top elements that would come from here. And I think that's the biggest problem. Is like, no one, for, I know you have issues with those movies in particular, but it never felt like he kind of, like, introduced bigger, elaborate stuff he couldn't really handle with his tone. As opposed to in, especially in this movie, it's like we're going to have like this big, epic, serious super Batman v Superman fight. But then also uh, we're going to have wacky Lex Luthor and all this other shit that just doesn't fit. Does this not feel like a mix between the Nolan sort of Batverse mixed with Watchmen? I think, well, because the, the Watchmen problem comes with the fact that these movies are trying to psychoanalyze like both batman and superman's characters like a big influence was like uh like essays even that were kind of like deconstructing superman as a figure and it's like that doesn't really work for like your second movie in the universe don't need to psychoanalyze superman as a character you got enough of it in man of steel done we know who he is he's superman he's a thin character look he's the ultimate boy scout we get that but that could be enough you build the movie around that and make the surroundings and make him feel like a more important character around what's going on in the situation. Not everything has to have this 
sort of sense of tragedy and loss constantly t- intrinsically tied to the character. I understand, you know, what they did with Man of Steel where he loses Jonathan and Kent and all this stuff. But then you don't need to see the Peter Parker talking to Uncle Ben scene, you know, in this movie. Right. We, we know, we know, we know. For, for all this thing about, like, oh, we're trying to distance ourselves from Marvel, make our own thing, they also kind of steal elements like that from the Marvel Universe, or even just... I think my, my biggest problem, sort of, with Superman as a character is how much they don't allow Henry Cavill to do much of anything. He has, like, literally about, like, 40 lines or so in the movie. 42 lines of spoken dialogue in the movie. And most of that is just, like, Lois, they don't understand me, I don't get it. They, he treats both Superman and Batman as, like, really thinly similar characters I don't want to see fight. Because they're both just kind of like, people don't understand me. <laughs> and so... No, that was a percent right. And instead of instead of doing what we all know of the Batman character and have Batman have this conflict about Thomas and Martha, you know, where he still talks to them and sees them and everything, and they give it to, they make Superman do it. Until the end, where all of a sudden Batman can't deal with the, someone saying the name Martha? That sets him into a, oh my god, you're right. Oh, you are a good person. What the fuck are we talking about here? Is that how thin Batman's psyche is? Like, that's what it takes to make Batman stop? Just to say Martha? Like, this is so stupid and thin. The Martha thing is one of many things in this movie where it feels like I'm watching the movie and saying, I'm seeing what you're going for, Zach. I get what you're trying to do. But the problem is when you when you don't have like anybody kind of saying like, hey, that's kind of shitty. Instead, you have like David Goy or Chris Terrio saying like, I up, I up, I up, I up, I up. Let's do that. That's all David fucking does. But no, it, I don't know. To be fair, Chris Terrio also has shown, especially after this movie, he does a lot of that with like Rise of Skywalker and shit like that. He's also <laughs> of equal guilty blame. That's very true. But no, I agree with you. Like, I get what he's going for. I get that. You know, Batman can he sees him as human who has a mother and everything like that. So he's like, holy shit, this guy's infallible too. He's not this all powerful sort of Christ figure allegory, super human alien that doesn't have any regard for humanity. Like I, I get what I get the idea behind it. It was just handled with fucking just such reckless abandon. We're like, Oh, he's going to kill him. And he says, Martha, Oh my God. And that's it. Right. Like it turns Martha and also I think the lowest lane characters in this movie into sort of these like really weird like mom girlfriend complex kind of characters where you have to make them like sort of the everything for these guys to like kind of relate it all to humanity is like my mommy girlfriend or my mommy my uh, girlfriend mommy are like the only things I have some yes. any kind of connection to and it's just like well you're really disservicing like especially two like really talented actresses and turning them into both damsels in distress and also like the everything that they kind of want to like achieve for like the 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 object they want to like sort of go for and it's like you know i love you so much lois but i have to completely deny your request for me not to kill myself i'm sorry bye (laughs) well yeah they both become Chekhov's gun i mean they both do they're only there to further the plot i mean and it's a it's a martha kent nobody really cares about martha kent i'll give me a hundred but Lois Lane, that's what you're going to do to the Lois Lane character? Fuck off. Yeah. Like, it's just, it's so dumb. And again, I got to bring it up again. Eisenberg. All right. Lex Luthor is, uh, you know, Superman's Joker. Like, Batman has Joker, Superman has Lex Luthor. Arch enemy. Number one enemy, yeah. Number one of all time. One of, if you really get into the lore and history of Lex Luthor, one of the smartest written characters ever. Because he is a fucking villain. 
but he's one of those classic villains where he believes what he's doing is right. And that makes such an interesting fucking character. It truly does. In this one, they basically turn him into the Riddler slash Joker slash a mad scientist. And that's his whole character arc. And it, it's such a weird sort of choice uh, for Jesse Eisenberg's performance in it. I'm not saying Jesse Eisenberg as a whole, because he is a good actor. He can play sort of quiet and weird, understated performance. And this, he's so over the top and goofy and silly. It just doesn't work. Juxtaposed against everybody else in it who's playing it dead fucking serious and dour. He's so egregiously over the top and and sort of distracting, it just doesn't work. I think he's a capable actor, but I don't think he's capable enough to where he goes against type and it's done well. It just comes across hokey to me. Well, when I first heard that he was going to be Lex Luthor, I, like a lot of people, was taking pause. Like, that seems like a weird choice. But then I kept thinking about it. Like, if you watch him in the social network, he is essentially playing, I think, the version of Lex Luthor you're talking about, just with the twist of it being he is a modern tech geek, which I think is an interesting update that would work for Lex Luthor, to have it be sort of like this uh, sort of young genius, a, a Zuckerberg type that would, like, come into all of this, like, wealth and fame and all this other stuff, and he would be kind of a weirdo, I think, especially if you played, like, sort of like an Elon Musk type weirdo, where he's like, I'm trying to save everybody, but also I'll go on, like, Joe Rogan and smoke weed. <laughs> like, if he was more what? that guy, I think that would be an interesting kind of twist that would work really well for that character, but instead he becomes sort of, like, this conduit for Zack Snyder to have these raw, long, like, rambling college freshman essays about, like, man and God, God and man, man gods. Oh. <laughs> it's just really dumb. Uh, it's so dumb. I don't know. It's just that to me is one of the biggest egregious miscastings in the DCU, if not the biggest. Uh, I would take Jared Leto's Joker over Jesse Eisenberg's Lex Luthor. I really, truly would. I I, I um, won't go that far um, because oh, one at I least will. one at least isn't like covered in fucking like Axe body spray and talking about honka honka and Jim Carrey voice. Uh, I know. Like I don't I, I don't think it's a miscasting I thing. I just think it's a very poorly written version of like like we mentioned like a pretty cool idea. Okay, I'll give you that. I'll yeah. give you that. But then you could say the same thing about Jared Leto's Joker. It's not really because Jared Leto is a very capable actor. It's it's not. It, it's, it's it's not an idea though it's just like joker's a cholo anything else about him? nope i i'll go into suicide squad more later but um i i would at least say there is some kind of an idea behind like the lex luther jesse eisenberg character that i could see potentially working at all which makes it like that's not high praise at all but that's at least mildly better than no idea stuff that would come later and i think honestly like the point where this movie falls apart for me really is the senate meeting scene Yes, because I think that we we haven't mentioned much about like Holly Hunter, who's one of ten thousand characters in the movie, but as this senator who was trying to like hunt down Superman after everything that happened, not a bad idea. Could be interesting to have Superman kind of confront this. They turn it into like the Senate meeting scene where you would have the perfect opportunity to have Superman speak his piece, not have him mope around and just be kind of a like fucking charlie brown kid just going like christmas time as he like fucking floats above he's like in fucking arrested development they just like sadly floating around no it should be fucking hallelujah again because Zack snyder loves that goddamn song no that's true um but like instead of like you you could have given like this version of superman an opportunity to say his piece 
say some kind of regret or speak about like why this collateral damage happened, anything like that. And they literally have fucking Scoot McNary in a lead lined wheelchair per the extended edition, um, blow everything yep. up. And then he just walks away sadly and like saves a couple people, I guess. With a jar, of, with a jar of piss on the desk, by the way. Right, Let's not forget right, that. because that was like Suthor's plant. Um, yep. it's yep. such like it's the point where like any of the positive things I've said about the movie completely blow up with that wheelchair, completely, <laughs> pretty I, much. Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree. I definitely agree because there is some cool shit in it, like Bruce Wayne in the underground fight club thing. He is doing detective stuff and reconnaissance and all that. They're they're trying. They're really trying to do some cool shit. And then it just goes off the fucking rails where he's he's getting the spear. He builds the suit. They have this long, drawn out fight scene. The can you bleed thing and all this. And like I said, Martha switches it around to where all of a sudden they unify to fight this fucking doomsday. That looks like a fucking like a Goomba from the Mario Brothers movie. It's horrible looking. Basically, the climax of the film makes the preceding fucking two hours not matter right because it's trying to rush so much about like you mentioned like the death of superman stuff with like uh doomsday and oh. all that that feels like why are we rushing to this why are we having like also the um dark knight returns element of it and uh, just like it we're rushing to get like so many of these things in here not to mention all of the like little easter eggs where wonder woman's like hmm, let me click on this youtube video <laughs> link uh-huh. and find out about uh-huh. this or the dream sequence that happens about like the fucking parademons and like which is all just like sequel set up for like a Justice League thing that didn't initially happen, but then I guess we'll get. Yeah, we're getting it. I guess. Just, um, I guess. Did I want Mad Bat Fury Road? No, no, I didn't. <laughs> this just feels like a piss poor. I don't know, man. Like, obviously, it's not the jumping off point, but it feels like a very, very bland sort of second film in this universe. Like, it's. I, it's I, really. I I would really I think bland is a not the right descriptor for it. It's kind of just like bland might not be the right word. It's yeah. not bland. There's a lot going on. Like imagine if in the MCU of it all, if right after the first Iron Man, instead of doing like the other people having their own movies and all this other stuff, um, you followed it up with like Age of Ultron or Infinity War. Well, no, Infinity like, War, like well, because like Age of Ultron is one of the more the bigger examples, like a sort of meld of like maybe. Age of Ultron, like, Iron Man 2. Like, this has all the problems like, an Iron Man 2 universe building times 10 because no, of stuffing I mean, too much into it. Right. Well, that's... I can't, I think that's kind of what I mean when I said Infinity War to where all of a sudden they throw everything into this movie for the most part. It, it's basically almost a Justice League movie. Basically. And they, they throw it all in here for no reason. Like, none of... We did not need to see his little fucking icons in the computer to set up the other characters. Not necessary. No. Really not necessary. And it, it's just, it's too much thrown, and whatever, like, didn't stick, they picked up and put back in anyways. And it's just, it's not, like I said, bland was not the right word, you're right, but there's a lot in this. It's a little overbearing. It's overstuffed. That's its real big scene. Yeah. Is that it's overstuffed. Which, like I said, comparing to some of like the other, I think, worser movies that would come out after this, like at least it's not thin. At least there's just like some substance here that you can find amongst the rubble. Um, and in a way that like I get why there are fans of something like this because it's a big, ambitious, daring superhero movie that isn't doing the exact same thing Marvel's doing, but at the same time, 
it has just this problem of, like it doesn't have the cohesion like say what you will about marvel kind of having cookie cutter stuff i've had that complaint before with some of these those movies sure. feel kind of familiar but at the same time at least like it doesn't feel like they're fucking up the formula with that this feels just like we're we're putting way too many different ingredients in the pot and it's not going to taste that consistent or good i agree it's pressure cooker chili with no spices <laughs> <laughs> it's some white ass pressure cooker chili. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good lord! I, I, we've talked a lot about this movie, Adam. Why don't you go ahead and spin off some final thoughts about uh, BVS, as the kids call it? It's just to me, this is a huge misstep. It, it's there's some good in it, a lot more bad. I, I just there's some glaring, glaring sort of defects and egregiously almost offensive things uh, to uh, fans of the comic books and fans of the lore in this that I, I just can't get behind it. I, I try to separate it and look at it like it's a film. And as a film, it feels overstuffed and bloated. As a comic book fan, it feels like fan service done the wrong way. It's a really sort of bloated mess of a film that makes makes choices, some of them daring, but I'd argue mostly all of them wrong. Yeah, I mean, I, I really do sort of agree with that. It might sound like I'm defending this movie to some degree, and I think it's only because I can at least say that, like, there's there's a bit more ambition than here that makes me respect, if not like, this movie that much. Because it's like, it, it's, it's trying to do a lot, and I think, like, it gets to sort of the disrespectful element of it, um, especially during that climax. I think just a lot of the ways that they treat some of, like, the female characters and some of the ways they just kind of treat the basic core tenets of these characters and turn them into much more sort of, like, over-the-top kind of archetypes, but while at the same time trying to, like, be philosophical about their inner meaning, um, I think is kind of, like, it's this weird kind of, like, pulling at two different masters where it's like, let's really analyze Batman and Superman in a way that none of the other movies have done before. But also, let's build a universe about these characters you're supposed to get invested in. And it's like, guys, this is like putting the batters in at the wrong end. That's not going to work. <laughs> That's really not going to fucking work and make this go. And I think, yeah, I agree. Once it gets to especially the sort of Death of Superman stuff, and when it gets to everybody kind of mourning this version of Superman, it, it feels like it's not even just a thing of like you're misunderstanding the character overall. It feels like you're misunderstanding the character you built up in these like other movies. <laughs> <laughs> where it's just like right where it's like sure you he like saved us from doomsday but i don't know if everyone would be so on even like divided about like who fucking superman is at this point it's just like yeah he saved us from doomsday but also like how many more people are dead <laughs> than there were previously right. um and it, it's such a bummer that like some of the like really good stuff like we didn't even mention like my favorite sort of moment in this whole movie is even during the middle of that really shitty climax like the one sort of consistent thing into the second half of the movie is Gal Gadot coming in with that Hans Zimmer like guitar riff because it's like that that's fun that's kind of fun <laughs> and it's kind of silly but like fuck it I'm entertained now which is like great Just kick the big Ninja Turtle turd's ass Wonder Woman you go girl <laughs> finally bring some life right. into this um, but but yeah, just overall, it's a huge, massive, massive movie, which makes it not the worst one of these DC movies, but um, the one that's making the biggest swing and the biggest miss. Yeah, I think that's a hundred percent accurate. But that's the end of our two features. Uh, us talking about those uh, for the evening. Uh, but we have uh, some other stuff to get to, including our picking for next week. Stay tuned for that at the very end of the show. Um, but we also ask 
every Monday over at DEDB Pod on Facebook and Twitter about like, hey, what are your favorite or least favorite movies or elements of a franchise you're talking about or whatever that we're covering for that particular week. So we asked you all about the DCEU, and we had a fair amount of feedback here. Uh, first off, we'll start with uh, some friends of the show like Caitlin Turner, who says um, for the DCEU, the best films are Birds of Prey and Wonder Woman, the worst are Batman v Superman and Justice League. Uh, James Rodriguez says, Wonder Woman is the introduction deserving of the character right down to the exceptional No Man's Land sequence. Shazam manages to balance the superpowered joys with the darker reality so exquisitely. Aquaman could have used uh, some fine-tuning, especially with its overlong runtime and that awful Pitbull rap, but still, it was very enjoyable. Worst, Suicide Squad. Uh, whether through studio interference or not, this was an all-out disaster. And Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice, how do you make the live-action uniting of two icons so boring and inept? Getting grimdark enthusiast Zack Snyder to direct it, that's how. Uh, Tori DePina says, uh, The worst elements of the DCEU are people like Zack Snyder providing a weak foundation for a film universe in both Man of Steel and the significantly worse BBS. Uh, there's no humanity or even trace amounts of what makes the characters great, either of those movies. Um, and uh, the best elements are people like Patty Jenkins, Kathy Yan, David F. Sandberg, and James Wan, man- who managed to uh, put some life and color into the universe, even if people like Snyder learn nothing from it. Uh, Christian Alvarez says, uh, The best of DC's current movies continuity is Wonder Woman. Patty Jenkins and Gal Gadot did a good job of bringing an iconic character to the big screen for the first time with some consistently great character moments. Shazam did a good job of bringing the character to life despite DC's complicated history with Shazam as a character. Uh, And Birds of Prey took advantage of the great casting for Margot Robbie as Harley Quinn and made a fun movie out of it that I'm excited to see a follow-up for. The worst of the current DC crop um, has a couple big ones. Suicide Squad's triple production issues coupled with Jared Leto's method acting issues make me very curious about a book or documentary about this misfire. BVS Dawn of Justice should have been a home run, meaning of uh, DC's two most iconic characters, um, and it became such a botched uh, attempt thanks to a director that seems to have little to no interest in understanding these characters and create essentially the Phantom Menace of the 2010s. Hopefully going forward, DC will make smarter adapting decisions for these characters, and Zack Snyder's big boy cut of Justice League will be the last chapter of this odd tenure. Um, Rachel Hillis says, uh, Best, Shazam, Wonder Woman, Aquaman, Birds of Prey, and portions of Suicide Squad. Worst, basically anything from their versions of Batman or Superman. Uh, Brian Kane says, I think this continuity was a mistake and needs to be axed entirely. Wonder Woman stands out as the only above-average entry for me, and Aquaman isn't saved by its overwhelming goofiness. Almost everything about this franchise is half-baked and embarrassing. And then uh, Jesus says, The worst elements of the franchise are the movies themselves and the nerd uproar that comes from mediocre films that don't deserve any amount of discourse. The best element is Henry Cavill's upper lip, the most entertaining part of all the films, and I mean from both DCEU or Marvel. Okay. <laughs> Well, I mean, I think it's kind of unanimous on most of those, uh, what people think are the bad and what people think are the good. The thing is uh, about Zack Snyder, I, I do agree that I don't know that she he should have been sort of given the reins. But I think like a Zack Snyder Batman movie could have worked with the dark and the gloominess and things like that. I think if they were going to give him one, Batman might have been the character for him or even something kind of weird like a new Green Lantern movie or something like that. Uh, but for him to sort of have the reins of over the whole franchise as it started, I, I do think was a misstep. And yeah, I think Suicide Squad is just a jumbled mess. I, I, I'm very hard pressed. The only good things in it are Margot Robbie's really good, of course, and uh, 
and I hate that I'm even saying this, but Jai Courtney as Cat Boomerang is really fun in it too. Um, um rewatching uh, it, especially I rewatched the ext- I actually watched the extended cut yeah, version of that yes, yes. for for the first time, which doesn't really add a lot. It's like ten minutes of extra Nothing. footage. Um, when I first watched it in theaters, I was just like, "Well, this is bad." But I didn't like dislike as much as Batman v Superman. Um, and then watching it again, it may be just one of the worst movies I've ever seen, regardless of like comic books or not. Oh wow! Because like with um the BVS we talked about, oh that's just like a really bloated, like super long, over saturated script. Um, Justice League, as it currently stands, kind of feels like it's an outline stretched to a movie. And then Suicide Squad feels to me like an elevator pitch stretched out to a movie. Like, there's barely anything in it. It's such, like, a completely vapid, lacking of anything for most of those characters to do kind of movie. Despite the fact that it, like, stretches on for two hours. It's so just, like, what's even happening? They're just people standing around making really bad jokes at each other. Or trying to do this David Ayer pseudo, like, oh man, we're badass criminal types. Like, look how interesting we are as, like bad boy archetypes or bad girl archetypes of Harley Quinn. And it's just like, you, you have like these actors, some of which are pretty talented, like even Jai Courtney, I agree. It's one of his better performances, but it's just like, they, they turn them into fucking action figures. They just stand around and they like fight the, some of the most it, uninteresting sort of like villain henchmen ever with these putty guys. And Enchantress has like, it, it's an incomplete movie. There are reels missing is what it feels like. It's just like, this This is not a movie. Go back, do your assignment again. Fuck off. And I don't oh, even, yeah. I don't want a David Ayer cut because I'm sure like it'll be a movie that makes no. more sense, but it'll just be even more obnoxious. But like even the one character that has an arc with like the fire guy, um, the pyro yes. or whatever his fucking name is, like his sort oh, of, God, I don't remember. His, El something, El Diablo. El, El Diablo. His motivations of being like, oh man, I wish I could go back to the wife I killed so she could like go down on me. Yes. That's that's it's it's such a sick, misogynistic, stupid, shitty fucking movie. Also, oh, I got my family now. Essay, uh, really? Like, yeah, in right? Which which some <laughs> of that is like the studio interference with the reshoots and shit, but also just even sure, sure. like even the stuff that feels more close to like Ayer's usual style, which I'm not historically a fan of. It's like a movie that's big energy that's sort of fueling it is fire fueled by like an axe body spray can. I think your your elevator pitch idea is dead on, and the pitch to me feels like. Okay, so people liked Guardians of the Galaxy as a gang of misfits with this hip soundtrack. Let's do that. But they're bad guys. It's what they do. Bad guys. Yeah, it's really piss poor, dude. My kid and I have been doing movie nights recently. Like She wanted to do superhero movies. So I was like, all right, I'll show her Aquaman, Shazam, and she really liked them. And then I watched Green Lantern with her, with Ryan Reynolds. Even though it's not part of the DCEU. But that's a better movie than Suicide Squad. Yeah, and that's saying a lot because that's a bad movie. Yeah, Green Lantern has a beginning, middle, and an end. Like, there's a point to it. There's a structure, and also, like, I can see more things. Like, we didn't talk much about in BVS about how there's like a lot of like murky cinematography, especially during the fight sequences. But Suicide Squad has that so beat where it just feels like, you, did you so like try bad. and sneak onto the Warner Brothers lot and film things, and you couldn't turn on the lights? Right, and even there, there's been so much around Justice League, obviously. Um, and I remember also at the time thinking, like, well, I didn't dislike this as much as Batman v Superman. But rewatching it again, it that's also barely a movie. Like, there's so many points where it changes tone from, like, shot to shot in a single scene. To the point where it's just like, this is, like, a Frankenstein monster that I just want to, like, put out of its misery as opposed to watch. I do agree with you, but I still think it's more watchable than Suicide Squad. Yeah, it has Gal Gadot. 
kind of doing something. So that yeah, it's got Gal Gadot and it's got Jason Momoa, who is fun as Aquaman. I think he's really fun, uh, even though the you know my man and all that stuff. But you know, and you get Jeremy Irons, you you get Bruce Wayne with a little bit more levity to him, which does work. Uh, it's just the movie's a mess. You know, the thing is about the DCU, a they they tried too hard, too fast to replicate what Marvel had done. Uh, and by the time they started, Marvel had already been, what, fucking six, eight years in? Yeah. So they were trying to, like, catch up super fast, and, and that's obviously what happened. That's obviously what what the case is with most of these movies. Like, they just wanted to pump them out, pump them out, pump them out. Not enough time and care was given, not only for the source material, but for, A, the fans and the general movie-going audience. They relied just on a name. And also, a lot, not, a lot, not a lot of confidence in their filmmakers, because after, like... They, those movies, particularly with like a Justice League, obviously, as was very well documented about the Joss Whedon stuff. You say the levity thing, I, that's what they're going for, but I most of the jokes don't work for me at all in Justice League. I agree with you, they don't, but at least the whole movie's not this brooding bullshit. Like, at least you can see a glimmer of where they might go with it. T- to me, it feels kind of like the worst of both worlds with that, though, in terms of, like, the light optimism feels, like, so corny and shoved in, and all, of, like, the big, dark brooding stuff feels insincere at the same time. It's just, it's, I think it's the worst of both potential halves. Like, the only time I can give you credit for, like, is a moment that feels like, oh, this is kind of, like, an interesting, hopeful moment, is I think what feels like a Whedon moment, but I think it's one of the better examples, is when the Flash is super scared about actually trying to, like, save people from Steppenwolf, and, he, and Batman just says, save one person. That's like a great moment in the middle of this, like, nothing of a movie. <laughs> great scene, I agree. But then why did they make Ezra Miller run like that? Like, what was the point of that? You know, the, but the thing is, I'd rather have the half-cocked sort of levity to a four-hour brood fest like we're going to get. Right, which we, we've referenced the uh, the Snyder Cut element of it, which we've talked about this off mic. The only reason that's happening is just because Warner Brothers can't really shoot much of anything. And they're like, well, how about we get something that has like a few reshoots to do and is mostly effects driven that we have to like pay money for. And we'll put that on HBO Max, a subscription service we need more attention toward. And this was before even they did their recent announcement about like, hey, theaters and on HBO Max at the same time and upset the entire film community. (laughs) Yeah, pretty much. But yeah, I mean, let's just call it as the DCEU as a whole is is kind of a mess. I mean, it really is. Like I said, I, I love Aquaman. I do like Man of Steel for, for the potential of what it could have gone into, but it didn't. Uh, but I still like it. Uh, the visuals and stuff like that. And the the design of Krypton and even Russell Crowe and all that. I, I really do like it. Yeah, even with like, to, to speak to Aquaman, what I like about Aquaman is that's a very messy movie that I have a lot of problems with. But also it has like such a consistent, energetic, fun tone that makes me sort yeah. of like, like, well, you know, some of this stuff doesn't work for me, but also... Uh, Patrick Wilson says he's the Ocean Master and fights the Brian King voice by Brian Blessed. That's fun. <laughs> That's weird, stupid shit I kind of think is fun. Julie Andrews is that giant fucking creature. Right, which I love that she voices Cthulhu, and that came out the same week as Mary Poppins Returns, which she declined to be in. I know. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I like Aquaman, I like Shazam, I like Birds of Prey, and I think Suicide Squad's going to be a big win. I think, from what I've heard, Wonder Woman 84 is going to be a big win. Uh, you mean specifically The Suicide Squad, James Gunn's The Suicide Squad. Oh, yeah, my bad. <laughs> right, yes, I mean, I agree with that. I think, to, to speak to you, you were talking earlier, the best two I would still agree are Shazam and Wonder Woman. I think Shazam I... does, like, all the fun stuff of, like, 
especially like sort of an 80s kids movie where there's a bit of danger that's there but also like a consistent fun to all the characters and honestly i will say it's one of the rare superhero movies period where my favorite thing is the third act like usually we have yes. that problem with the third act in these movies we're just like yeah it's kind of paint by numbers hero fights film i don't care and the third act is so charming and heartwarming with like his foster family coming together like when i watch that in the theater it's just like this is like magical I feel like a kid again watching this. It's so good. It's so warm-hearted and earnest in a way that you don't get it from a lot of these movies. And even with, like, Wonder Woman, like, I mostly really love that movie, revisiting it, especially the first time since the theater recently. I forgot just how much it feels like this perfect meld of modern superhero action stuff, but also, like, a classic Hollywood movie. Like, I love the chemistry so much between Gal Gadot and Chris Pine, and that team they kind of build up has, like, an interesting diverse angle to it, but also all those characters feel really well realized. And if it didn't have fucking David Thewlis turning into an Injustice villain, it would be a perfect movie to me. (laughs) And I would totally down for Ares being the villain. He's a major villain for Wonder Woman and everything, but it's so poorly done. Like, it's so, so silly. It's almost a perfect movie for me. There, I do have a couple issues with Wonder Woman, but Shazam edges it out just lightly. But it is definitely my number two. The moment where I watched that movie and I knew like Gal Gadot is a star that's here to stay is the bit where like she gets the ice cream and she licks and she's like, oh, it's wonderful. You should be so proud. She's like, that's so awesome and cute and great. And it makes sense. Yes. I would argue Gal, Gal Gadot in general in that casting is, but it's, it's just like one of those once in like a sort of decade castings for me, like Robert Downey as Iron Man or before that Chris Reeve as Superman, which is like, I can't see anybody else as his character. It's perfect. When I first heard it was Gal Gadot, the only thing I knew her from was the Fast and the Furious movies. Right, where she's just like kind of a nothing arm candy for uh, Han. Yeah, I was like, what? That's Wonder Woman? Man, as soon as she showed up in Batman vs Superman, I'm like, oh, I get it. The thing is, Gal Gadot pulled off this really sort of nuanced performance of, A, exceptional beauty and allurement. I mean, she's one of the most beautiful I've ever seen. But B, this authority, authoritative sort of personality, and just like, you know she is not the person with whom to fuck. But also, she doesn't sacrifice any vulnerability at the same time. At all. At all. It's such a well-done performance. I think she's absolutely perfect. Just credit also to Patty Jenkins, though, because I think that movie works so well because she kind of takes vague influences of Snyder's kind of like slow motion stuff and does it thousands of times better. Like, it was said here about No Man's Land. Completely agree. It's like such an awesome... It gave me chills still, like, when she gets onto that clock tower and bursts it, just like, fuck yeah, this is great. <laughs> this is such awesome shit. I think in the if it wasn't in the hands of a female director, I don't think the movie would have been as successful, to be honest. Um, and I guess before we uh, kind of close out here on that particular feedback, how do you sort of feel about like what the future can be for the DCEU? Because it's kind of in a weird spot right now. Where do you feel like it kind of go from here? Obviously, do the sequels to the ones that you've already done. Like Wonder Woman 84, totally excited for it. Really excited if they do actually do the Shazam sequel, which I think they're going to do because Black Adam's coming and all that stuff. Um, but I think a really good idea for them to do is keep sort of the ties of the DCU we've already established, but do the one-shot movies, like with Joker or the Robert Pattinson Batman and stuff like that. I think that's a really smart play. So you can still have your extended universe, but you can still make other movies that don't have to be part of the universe. As much as, like, Henry Cavill got such a raw deal, I would still want to see, like, a good Superman movie with that dude. 
I think he has the potential to be such a great Superman. They just rarely gave him the chance. Looks like Superman. I mean, yeah. he genuinely like an artist's drawing of Superman in in the flesh. I, I and he's he's a decent actor. I would love to see another Cavill-led Superman film. Will it happen? I don't know. I mean, honestly, the odds are probably against it. But I think it'd be cool. There was even that rumor like earlier this year that he was going to be kind of like the Hulk and like show up in other movies. Or something like yep. that. It's just like, I don't know if we need to have him do that, necessarily. No, not with Superman. Not with Superman. Superman's no. too big. I mean, to be fair, I also would have loved to see him at the end of Shazam, actually, instead of the double. That would have been even funnier if just Henry Cavill said that. It's just like, you guys like this I... milk? <laughs> the lunch. Like, pull the Mr. T. Eat your vitamins, drink your milk. Like, that's awesome. But, uh... Yeah, I think, you know, my thing is they're never going to match the MCU. It's not going to happen. I mean, it's just not going to. But they have potential with these, like I said, with these one-offs, like Pattinson's the Batman. How excited are people for that? Very. Do that. Joker's an Academy Award-winning film. Say what you will about it, but it was super successful for DC. Do those. Yeah, or even uh, do a good uh, solo Flash movie and maybe get rid of Ezra Miller. Oh, no, I, I think you absolutely have to get rid of Ezra Miller. Yeah, I think that's kind of a necessity. Adam, uh, we have one other brief bit of feedback that's not related to the DCU stuff, but I think it's going to warm your heart, because we asked people out there after Man's Best Friend where you felt so alone, and we're just asking, you were like the sad Superman, just like, is anybody else like Man's Best Friend? I think I'm the only one. Well, Oliver Sloan, loyal fan of ours, um, did mention that he said, uh, I love Man's Best Friend, the only dog who you don't have to use a pooper scooper for, and he has acid pee. No cleanup necessary. Oh, Oliver. Ah, I love you. You beautiful man. We should get married and have a man's best friend-themed wedding. (laughs) You you can piss on the cake. And the cake is shaped like Max the dog. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> chewing on brake lines. And I'll just be there like, can I have, like, the non-pee side of the cake? I'd, I'd prefer that. Um, but uh, thank you all for all of that feedback. We also uh, want to say some uh, thanks and congratulations to some other people, um, including just, you know, we're releasing this uh, the you know second to last week of December, and uh, Christmas is this week, and uh, Hanukkah was last week, Kwanzaa will be later this week. You know, there's a bunch of different holidays. Happy holidays, everybody out there, no matter what you celebrate. Yeah, for sure. Happy holidays. Enjoy them safely. Let's hope this can be a sort of a fucking new beginning for everyone. Not necessarily because of the COVID thing. I mean, of course, that too. But everybody's going through this shit right now. Let's hope this can be a fresh start for everyone. Let's hope uh, things are just dark now before the dawn. Come 2021. Um, knock on any wood that's available. Where's a tree? <laughs> Let me knock on that too. I don't have anything made of wood. I'm cursed. Well, no. <laughs> well um, we want to thank some other people, too, obviously, like Chris Oliver, who does the intro and outro music used in our show. Listen to more of his music at chrisoliver.bandcamp.com. Thanks to Emily Scarter for the art for our show. And thanks to our loyal Edgelord supporters on Patreon, on patreon.com slash gedvpod. Uh, you can, uh, if you just donate $1 a month, participate in some stuff like polls that we put out and listen to some bonus episodes. For uh, this particular week, we'll be putting out um, a poll for a topic we'll be doing next month. And, uh, you know, next month we had, like, some empty slots in January, and we're like, hmm, you know what, how about we spend one of those revisiting a topic we haven't done 
in a long ass time because we like at least repeating a topic once so we can sort of switch off on the quality and stuff and uh, there are two we definitely wanted to revisit uh so you all get to choose either if we do stephen king adaptations which we haven't done since episode 12 adam (laughs) so long ago and also uh spoof films which you haven't done since episode 34 both in the first year we did this in 2018 so uh, you all get to decide if you just uh, donate the $1 a month, uh, which one of those we do, and you can vote from uh, the 23rd, um, and that lasts a week for you to vote. Uh, anyone you're pulling for, Adam, between those two? I mean, I'm good with either. I'm guessing Stephen King's going to win, just because it's more popular, and plus with the Stand miniseries coming out and things like that, I'm, I'm guessing it's going to be Stephen King, but I'm down for either. Mm-hmm. And uh, also, speaking of bonus stuff, uh, we'll soon be recording our new uh, entry in the trivia game. That'll be our last bonus episode for 2020, um, where we'll be joined by a third guest. So we'll be recording that soon. And if all things go well, I should have that in time for Xmas. So you can all gather oh. around the tree and listen to Adam and I probably get our ass kicked by the third guest in the new trivia game we're doing. Swear and swear. <laughs> Listen with the kids, especially just like right after Santa's presents are open. Hear Adam swear around the fire. A new Christmas tradition. Yes. Yes. Uh, but if you want more of our antics, you can find us at DEDV Pod, Twitter and Facebook. That's where every Monday we share our feelers about like, hey, where are the you know good or bad things you feel for this particular topic we're doing? And you can also submit feedback to us via email at doubleedgedoublebill, all spelled out, at gmail.com. Um, and you know what, Adam? Uh, it might be a bit too late to get um, certain Christmas gifts ordered online, but you could always have something just in time for the new year with uh, over at T Public, the ESO uh, store over there. So tpublic.com slash store slash the dash ESO dash broadcasting dot network. There'll be a link in the description if you didn't quite get all that. Um, you can buy merchandise for any of the ESO shows, including ours. Uh, I mentioned I got a coffee cup recently with our logo on it. That's great. I've been drinking coffee out of it all week. And also I got a mask so I can stay safe during the holiday season and also I'll plug Double H Double Bill out there. It's uh, quite comfortable and easily breathable. Yeah, buy our merch. Buy our merch. <laughs> for sure on there. And we get a bit of commission off it. That helps out. Yeah, I mean, what the hell? It's Christmas, guys. Help us out. It's Christmas. It's Christmas. <laughs> um, and uh, you can find me doing my own individual stuff on Twitter, Instagram, or Letterboxd uh, at Not the Who's Tommy, uh, where I post up some feelings on there about movies and stuff. I also do some writing at MarianiThomas.wordpress.com, where I'm sure. Very soon I'll be having a review for Wonder Woman 1984, and I'm probably going to have one for Soul, the new Pixar movie. They'll be coming out on Disney Plus that same day, Christmas Day. Excited for that one, actually, more than Wonder Woman. And also, I did a guest appearance uh, this very week. It'll be coming out on friend of the show Rafe Telsch's podcast, Have Not Seen This, uh, where we talk about a movie that I'm surprised people might not have seen. And uh, I brought to the table Muppets Take Manhattan, which I think is uh, sort of the underrated gem of especially the earlier Muppet movies. It's my absolute favorite one of the franchise. Uh, I, yeah, absolutely great, great, great movie. Wait till I tell the guys that marketing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, if you're trying to find me anywhere, I'm on Twitter and uh, Instagram at Atom or Adam. It's A-T-O-M underscore or underscore A-D-A-M. Uh, I don't do a lot on there. A lot of pictures of beers, a lot of pictures of paintings I've done, and a lot of random 2 to 3 a.m. Uh, Twitter musings. And I will share your shit. He's a loyal retweeter, as they say. That's about it. 
Yes, and if you want more uh, loyalty from us, you can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and other podcasting platforms out there. And if you're listening on the ESO network, why not listen to all the other great shows? Or you can even dig into our archives for stuff we posted even before we were on ESO over on our Podbean main feed. And if nothing else, if you can't, you know, buy our merch or support us on the Patreon, we get it. Uh, you can support us for completely free if you just rate, review, or just share the show around. It helps get more visibility out there on the internets. That's all it takes, man. Just hit the retweet button. Not that hard. All it takes, yes. And now, Adam, before we finally finish this episode, uh, we have one more episode left in this miserable year of 2020. One more to go before we dawn into the <gasps> new 2021 year. Thank God. Oh, for God's sakes. Hopefully, like we said, knocking on that wood, it's hopefully it's better from here. But before we leave 2020, we have to do what we usually do every year, which is in the middle of the year, then at the very end, we talk about movies that came out in 2020, which obviously, given this year, was an interesting sort of release strategy for a lot of movies. Um, a lot of streaming interesting ones that could come about. Um, and uh, this time... Uh, unlike last time uh, when we did this, I have the good picks, you have the bad picks. I have uh, two assigned number between 1 and 10, and you've done the same for your bad picks. And uh, as we do every week, we will um, pick a number between 1 and 10 for each other's choices, and that gets us closer to whatever good and bad choice we do. So, Adam, for my two good picks, number between 1 and 10. Let's go number 1. Okay. I have a movie that'll uh, be... Very close to number one, I think, when I finally do my sort of uh, top movies of 2020 list. Uh, time loop comedy Palm Springs, starring Andy Samberg on Hulu. Oh, I haven't watched that one yet. Cool. I'm excited to check that one out. For sure, for sure. That's cool. That's exciting. That's exciting. <laughs> um, and then at number nine, I had another one that I think is going to be one of my tip-top favorites. One that I hope more people see. Honestly, it's a sort of weird documentary on Netflix called Dick Johnson is Dead, which is a female filmmaker uh, tries to make a movie in tribute to her father, who is uh, kind of starting to suffer from dementia and stuff, and involves uh, shooting a bunch of scenarios where it looks like he gets murdered. Oh, good lord. It's a very delightful, heartwarming movie, despite that premise. Oh, all right. Well, you know what? I will watch them both. <gasps> that's probably not That's probably not true. Probably not true, no. no. Um, but you will at least watch... Palm Springs and the bad choice that we'll be picking here, Adam, from your two bad choices. I'm gonna go with number six. All right, I think this is the first time I've done this. Had a choice twice come up knowingly. Hmm. Um, that I something I, I tend to try not to to replicate. Uh, but this is one that I I feel like got as we talked about. Uh, with Birds of Prey, sort of an unfair shake. Uh, at number eight, I have The New Mutants. Oh, the infamous New Mutants. Okay, I have not seen this yet, so this will be very curious to finally dig into this movie that's been 75 years in the making. I can't wait. <laughs> right, exactly. And at number one, I had uh, Capone with Tom Hardy. Ooh, yeah, pretty bad one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Never watched it, but that's what I've heard. No, okay, there will be more to talk about, I think, with New Mutants. That'll be interesting. Okay, so New Mutants and Palm Springs. That's how we're ending 2020, everybody. Get ready, get hyped. Coming next time. I guess it's time to do our uh, farewells, everybody. So until next time, remember, always connect this holiday season with your Marthas.
Yes. Happy holidays, you fucks. <laughs> Why'd you say that name? Good night. <laughs>